This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, September 1st, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include a quick preview of Apple's upcoming far-out iPhone event and a likely prediction or two. Two-factor authentication is becoming a familiar security feature, but will there ever be a time when 2FA itself isn't secure enough? The macOS now looks for malware, but how thorough are its scans, and does it provide sufficient protection? And we compare two ways of enhancing your email security, with Apple's Hide My Email and DuckDuckGo's new email protection. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. I'm excited for next week's new Apple event, aren't you? Yeah, I am desperately in need of a new iPhone. The more the time goes on, the more I realize, you know, my iPhone XS is really pretty old at this point, and I just need something newer, faster, better. It still gets security updates, right? Yeah, it is. And it will still get iOS 16, but it's actually getting really slow. I got to have a faster iPhone. Well, there's some rumors floating around as usual about next week's iPhone announcement. And apparently the camera on the Pro models is going to be 48 megapixels. And that's four times as many megapixels as on the current cameras. 12 is quite low. 48 megapixels would probably use a what's called a stacked sensor that has multiple sensors on top of each other, which is a new technology that a number of cameras are using. There's also discussion that the notch will disappear and will be replaced by a pill. There is also some discussion about a satellite communication feature in the iPhone. So Apple's event has been teased with the words far out and an Apple logo in stars in the sky. Apparently, what this is going to do is allow you to make emergency calls via satellite if you're out of phone range. So it's not going to be full. You're not going to be able to make satellite calls yet, but you will be able to contact emergency services, which is great. And it's a real selling point for people who go hiking or sailing or whatever that you want to have an iPhone because it's safer and it's better than buying a satellite phone or uh, another satellite device. Yeah, when you're out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have cellular service, and, and also besides camping, this is also really useful when you're on the road. There's huge stretches of road where you know there's no towns, cities, anything nearby, and you may not have cellular service even while you're traveling. And so if this is something that Apple actually is announcing, this could be a really nice advantage. It's an insurance policy. Interestingly, I was talking with my partner last night, and she didn't know how to bring up that screen to make an emergency call. So I explained, generally, it's power button and one of the two volume buttons for a couple of seconds. And I said, if you're ever in an accident or something, you need to know how to do this. I said, well, do you know that this is possible? She says, well, I know it's possible, but I don't know how to do it. So good idea to teach everyone you know how to do this in case of an emergency. And another way that you can activate it, and it does vary depending on how you have your iPhone configured, but it can also be multi multiple button presses of the power button in a row. Yeah. Okay, so this week we want to talk about something. We're actually not going to talk about the story, but we're going to talk about what the story implies. So cybersecurity researchers detail a BEC scam targeting high-level Microsoft Office 365 accounts, even if they are protected with MFA. So MFA is multi-factor authentication. BEC is? Business email compromise. 
So basically, they came up with a man-in-the-middle system to access accounts that were being authenticated on, like, phones. And it's less that story that we want to talk about than briefly talk about what do we do if two-factor authentication isn't enough. And Josh has told us over and over again, SMS is insecure, so two-factor authentication with SMS can be intercepted, relatively simple. But if we've gotten to the point where hackers are getting past other more sophisticated forms of two-factor authentication, what's next? Well, the, the best thing would be if those websites and services would adopt a passwordless technology. This is something that Apple is really starting to push because we know that iOS 16 and macOS Ventura are going to include something called passkeys, which, again, if the website supports it, will enable you to log in without having to use a password. So it's basically going to use biometrics instead. So, for example, you're using passkeys to log in on your Mac. If you've got a Touch ID sensor on your Mac, then you just put your finger on the Touch ID sensor and you'd be able to log into the website. Same thing on an iPhone, whether it's Touch ID or Face ID, it directly authenticates you without ever having to establish a, a password. So this is good because what for one thing, there's nothing to steal, right? If somebody hacks into that website, there's no password database anywhere. So that can be a good thing for security, and it would probably be able to bypass a lot of these multi-factor authentication bypass tricks that the bad guys are using these days. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Will they still be able to do that? Or is the authentication such that it's not intercepted in any way? The, the one that we're looking at here, in the show notes, we'll link to the article. We won't go into detail, but it's a server was set up to act as a man in the middle and intercept cookies cookies, session cookies that identified people. Josh is smiling and laughing over there. This is so funny because I, so in, but way back in 2010, there was a Firefox extension called FireSheep. And this was the thing that made websites start to implement HTTPS for the entire browsing session, right? It used to be before that, that if you would go to just about any website that you needed to log into, the only page that would be HTTPS would be the actual login page. And because of FireSheep, people started to wake up to the fact that these session cookies, which were being saved on your device, could potentially be intercepted by other computers you know, on the same network. For example, if you were connected to a Wi-Fi network that didn't require a password. And so the simple solution that everyone had was, okay, well, we'll just make HTTPS across the entire website then. And that worked. But there are other ways to steal session cookies. Malware can do it. And now this man-in-the-middle attack that they're using against large companies can also do this. So we need to also take another look, I think. We as an industry, I think, need to take a look at session cookies and figure out what can we do to kind of eliminate that problem. I remember the old days when Wi-Fi networks weren't protected with passwords. <laughs> you know, it's still relatively common in a lot of public places. Coffee shops and, and restaurants often don't have any password on their Wi-Fi networks. Many years ago, and I, this is more, this is 15 or 20 years ago, in France, they wanted to prosecute people who had been illegally downloading music. And they were set to like hit them with, you know, million euro fines for downloading one Coldplay song, which, you know, frankly, it's not worth a million euros. And so the people would go 
to court, well, they were sending out letters and they were getting people and they were going, well, someone was using my Wi-Fi network. So they made it a law in France that you had to password protect your Wi-Fi network because people weren't doing it by default. Routers weren't password protected by default. But this is back in the days of what, WPA, before WPA 2 and 3, which meant that you could easily crack into these networks anyway. For sure with WEP, yeah. WEP, that's what the old one, yeah. Yeah. It was supposed to stand for Wired Equivalent Privacy, which was a complete joke (laughs) because it was no such thing. Back in the day with FireSheep, it was possible to actually steal someone else's session cookies who was on the same network if they had WEP security or if they had no security on their Wi-Fi network. Either one, it was possible to steal session cookies from anyone else who was connected to that network. Okay, we have an article on Vice. Websites can identify you if you're using iPhone's new lockdown mode. We discussed lockdown mode a few episodes ago. It's a way of... It's a sort of a one-click way of locking down a number of features on your device. What's interesting here is... Lockdown mode is not for all of us. It's for dissidents. It's for journalists. It's for people, you know, being attacked by nation states. But it's possible that you can still be identified. So let's say you're a dissident in a country that doesn't want you to access the Internet and you access the Internet and identify. So this is a pretty serious thing. I'm giving Josh an assignment because Josh likes this kind of security. I'm going to ask you to spend one week in lockdown mode on your iPhone and keep a log of every time you have to turn it off to access things. You can't get files and messages. You can't download certain things in different ways. It's not a totally hermetic lockdown, but it will make it difficult to do a lot of normal things. But if people can be identified, even if they're using lockdown mode, then is is it really a big help? Well, I planned to try out lockdown mode on my iPhone anyway, so I'm happy to take that challenge. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think it's worth it if – if you're a certain kind of person, right? If if you are kind of an average person, you don't really have any concerns about somebody potentially hacking you. Yeah, you probably don't really need lockdown mode, but I want to see how easy it is to use or not. Uh, and I, th- I think I'll probably stick with it. That's my prediction, but we'll see. Okay. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. So if you can be identified when you're using lockdown mode, is that a bad thing? Um, Well, the reason, first of all, why you can be detected using lockdown mode is because lockdown mode disables certain functionality, including in a web browsing session. So it's not going to be able to load web fonts, which is uh, a font that the website is trying to get you to use that you don't have on your system. And so it recommends it for you. But because web fonts can be exploited, they can do, potentially they can do bad things that lead to your device getting infected. That's one of the things that gets turned off. So a researcher decided to create a proof of concept website that simply looks to see whether you have web fonts enabled. And if not, then it tells you you're in lockdown mode. And so that's what this story is all about. Yes, A website can detect that you're in lockdown mode. Is that necessarily a bad thing? It's kind of like, it's almost trading off, giving you better security for maybe a little bit less privacy, just in the sense that now websites can potentially more easily identify you because very few people are probably going to be using lockdown mode. And so the website's going to be able to tell that 
somebody is using lockdown mode again, and maybe it's the same person. And the enhanced protection and messages where you can't receive attachments that might have these zero-click vulnerabilities, I think it's worth it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. It, it depends, again, on the person. I'm going to try it out, and I'll let you guys know what I think of it. Okay. Very quickly before the break, macOS now scans for malware whenever it gets a chance. Can you imagine that? Whenever you're not doing anything on your Mac, it's not mining cryptocurrency. It's scanning for malware. So I looked at this article here, and this is on the, the Eclectic Light Company, and I I took a few minutes to count the number of different types of malware that it's scanning, and I carefully went through the list three times to make sure I got it right. It's scanning for 13 different types of malware. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> 13. <laughs> right. That's how many like we find every day? <laughs> right. There's a lot of different malware families that can infect a Mac, and Apple is really only looking for a few very specific ones. You might see a headline saying macOS now scans for malware whenever it gets a chance and and real and think reasonably. You might assume from that, "Oh, okay. Well, then I don't need antivirus software, right?" Well, this is a step up from what Apple has done in the past with Xprotect, right? Xprotect was a, a very basic technology that assessed downloads and before you ran those things, it would kind of identify whether there was any specific kinds of known malware that Apple in particular is looking for. Well, now they've kind of stepped up the game a little bit. And with a few of these, they're checking your Mac on a regular basis with a very, very quick targeted scan to see whether particular pieces of malware exist uh, on your Mac. It's still not like full-fledged antivirus software. It's still not going to protect you from a ton of different malware families. It's not going to protect you from macro viruses or any kind of cross-platform malware, Java malware, a number of other things that a full-fledged antivirus program is going to be able to protect you from. So it's good. Props to Apple for, for improving that technology, but it's still not where it would need to be to replace active scanning antivirus software. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about two ways of enhancing your privacy with email. Apple's Hide My Email and DuckDuckGo's Email Protection. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts.
So we've talked in the past about Apple's Hide My Email, which you can use to enhance your privacy when you sign up on a website or with an app by not giving your actual email address. It forwards to your iCloud email address. DuckDuckGo has just come out with something. It was in beta for a while, and it's just available to the public. It's called Email Protection, and it works in a similar way. You set up a duck address, a at duck.com. And when you need an address to sign up for a website, let's say sign up for a newsletter, you get a random at duck.com address and it forwards to your duck.com address. It sounds pretty simple. We have an article on the Intego Mac security blog, which is better, Apple's Hide My Email or DuckDuckGo email protection, looking at the pros and cons of each one. And it's kind of interesting. There's there's a bit of overlap with these two services, but not as much as we'd expect. Right. We've even got a, a chart. So you can take a look and look at them side by side. Hide my email versus DuckDuckGo email protection. There's a lot of things to, to talk about here. I think the first thing that a lot of people are going to want to know is, okay, well, how much do these services cost? DuckDuckGo's email protection service is free for everybody. Hide My Email does require at least that 99 cents a month to be on Apple's iCloud Plus plan. So, you know, you do have to pay for it. It doesn't cost a lot and, and you get a bunch of other advantages of being part of that service, but you do have to pay for Hide My Email. Well, at 99 cents, that's $12 a year. That's $120 a decade if you add it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it's, it's, not, saying, it's not it's expensive, not expensive and it does give you other features but it is that one step you have to go to to buy something i i think almost anyone who has an iphone at a minimum should be paying for this to get 50 gigs of storage instead of five so you can back up your device yeah absolutely icloud backups it's really valuable to sign in for that service, at least for for that i i do wish that apple gave more than five gigs by default it feels like a really minimal amount. When I consider that I have an iMac and a MacBook Air, an iPhone and two iPads, and I don't get five gigs each, that just feels a bit cheap. Anyway, let's move on. So both of these will hide your email address, and that's really good. With Hide My Email, you can create an address for any service, any contact. You can create a new email message, and you can choose from the account drop-down menu in Mail to create a new address using Hide My Email. So it's really easy to generate an address. DuckDuckGo, you have to go into the DuckDuckGo app. We're going to talk about compatibility in a second. It's not as simple if you want to use it to send normal emails. It's a little bit easier to get an address to enter on a website, particularly if you're using a DuckDuckGo app on iOS or a supported browser on the Mac. Right. I, I feel like one thing that is a real big disadvantage right now for, for DuckDuckGo's service, just because it's it's kind of annoying, to be honest. It's not easy to to get this set up in, in the first place. You do have to use a specific app. Basically, you're using DuckDuckGo's browser now on, on your iPhone, or you're using an extension on your Mac, a Firefox and Chrome or Chromium browser extension. So it also works on Microsoft Edge. Yeah, worth pointing out, it does not work with Safari. DuckDuckGo says they're working on an app for the Mac. Which is weird. They're not working on a browser plugin. And we were talking about this before the show. If one password can do autofill in the browser on Safari, then they should be able to do it as well. My guess is that they're just porting their iPad app to the Mac, which, as we know, since the M1 processors, you can use certain iPhone and iPad apps on the Mac. So it does make it a little bit clunkier. 
On the other hand, it does allow you to work on Windows and Android. So if you're a multi-platform person, this might be easier than hide my email. Right. So this is a big advantage of DuckDuckGo is that their service is not platform dependent. Not only do you not have to pay anything for it, but you can also get this on an Android device. You can use the browser extensions also on a, a Windows computer. So it is cross-platform. That is a nice thing. Okay. DuckDuckGo's main selling point is that it deletes email trackers. And, and that's what their they're, they're offering a similar service to what they get in their own browser, their own app, to email. They're saying in their app, which is on the iPhone, it's just basically a WebKit browser, but they've got their own wrapper around it. They delete trackers. And for the emails, they do the same thing. Hide My Email doesn't really do that. It's just really obfuscating the address and running it through a proxy so you can't be identified. Both of them allow you to delete addresses at any time. It's a little bit of a different process. With Hide My Email, you can go into your settings on any of your Apple devices and you can see all the addresses you've used and you can delete them. With DuckDuckGo, it's different. You can only delete an address when you've received an email and then you get a little link. And I've got screenshots in my article. And if you click the link, you get to a page where you can delete an address. This, I think, is the advantage on the side of Hide My Email, because in the settings app, as you mentioned, you, you've got all of these things listed in one spot. So you can see every email address that you've got set up with Hide My, and you can also delete them. You can add new ones there all in one spot. With DuckDuckGo, if you want to delete an existing forwarding address, the only way to do that is, like you say, if, if you get an email from that company, then you have a banner with a more link that you can click on, and that gives you the option to deactivate that individual address. So you have to actually find an email from that company and then click on another thing and then click the deactivate button. So it's a little bit more complicated and not as easy because there's not one place that you can go to get all of this information and deactivate any one that you want. Right. And you might want to just mass deactivate all of your addresses and hide my email for some reason. And you can't really do that in DuckDuckGo. It doesn't mean you can't deactivate them as you get emails. Because if you're not getting emails to those addresses, it's not that big a problem, but it is a little bit more difficult to manage. One point that I thought was kind of interesting is that when you're using Hide My Email, people know that you're on an Apple device. When you're using DuckDuckGo, they don't know what sort of device you're using. Hide My Email addresses are at iCloud.com. DuckDuckGo addresses are at Duck.com, which could be any platform. So if you sign up for a newsletter on a website, they might target you with different ads if you're an Apple user than they would if they don't know which platform you're using. Right. And that's a fair point uh, because, for example, they might think you're obviously an Apple user, so we're not going to give you as good of a discount because we know you can afford Apple devices, right? So they might try to use that um, to their advantage and not to your advantage. By the way, one one other point about the email addresses that Hide My Email uses, if you create an address manually with Hide My Email, it does use an at iCloud.com address, which is the same as you would get if you were signing up for iCloud in the first place. If you were using Sign In with Apple, they give you actually a different address for that. So both of these show up under Hide My Email. But instead of at iCloud.com, you'll get at privaterelay.appleid.com if you signed up with that website using sign in with Apple. So there are two different things. Either way, someone can easily identify that you're using an Apple device. 
Right. Now, one thing that we looked at is how many addresses can you create? When Apple first launched Hide My Email, they said you could create 100 addresses, and that included sign in with Apple. It seems from anecdotal evidence that you can create more than 200, yet DuckDuckGo says that there is no practical limit. That's kind of 200 addresses. That's not a lot. Because remember, you can use these addresses to sign into websites with Sign In My Apple or apps or services. You can use the Hide My Email feature when you're going to a website. But you can also do this for individual emails. As I mentioned, when you click that little account menu, you can create a Hide My Email address. You could create these for people you're contacting. So let's say you're sending an email for, I don't know, I'm looking for a job. I'm sending an email to the company to find out. You can create a hide my email address for a lot of different contacts. It might look a little weird because they're funny random words in the addresses, but still, you someone who's really interested in privacy may quickly get above 200 addresses. And we don't know what the actual limit is. I think, Josh, you found someone who said they'd done about 270? Yeah, it was a little over 270. So that was the biggest number that I've seen that anyone has actually tried successfully. And this was just recently too, I think within the last month or so. Maybe there is effectively no limit on the number of addresses now. It, it seems like this was, Apple had put a, a limit in place maybe during the beta period. And maybe they're kind of eliminating that now, now that they know that it's working well or something. Right. Okay. So one comment I saw in some articles online about this is, would companies block duck.com addresses since they know that they're relays and obfuscating. And, and Josh, you pointed out that sometimes when you go to a security company website and you ask for a white paper, you have to put an email address in it. And obviously you use some of these services that let you hide your email address and sometimes they're refused, right? Yeah. And actually what I usually do when I, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say this because, you know, sometimes we release white papers too, but you know, I, I gotta be real. I, I, I do use temporary email services sometimes and most of the addresses that you get from popular services tend to be blocked. It, it, it's not specifically just white papers. There could be other things. I've seen this with eBooks where somebody offers you a free eBook. And of course they, in order to do that, they want to get your email address on their mailing list. Right. And so any of these kind of services usually have some sort of like backend filters to like verify whether this email address that you're putting in is on a known temporary email service. So basically they know that you're never going to see any follow-up messages that they send you. And often they'll just block those. There are some temporary email services that rotate their domains all the time so that it's a little bit more difficult for these type of sites to keep up with it. But, you know, it's kind of a hassle. And maybe you do actually want to get communications, but you want to be able to shut it down if they get overwhelming, right? That's where something like a duck.com address or a hide my email address could come in really handy. Maybe you want communications from this company temporarily or just on a trial basis to see whether you like the kinds of content that they send you. And if not, hey, just disable that. No big deal. You know, sometimes I sign up for newsletters and then they unsubscribe and I get an email you will be unsubscribed from this newsletter within the next seven days. I'm like, seriously? That's when you just want to yeah. block the address. And you don't want to hear from them again. <laughs> um, I don't understand. They, they must be doing this manually. Someone must be typing the addresses in. But you had a good thought about this. If 
companies start blocking duck.com because they know that it's a privacy friendly address. Technically they really shouldn't be blocking duck.com because it does forward to your actual email, right? So it, it's fulfilling the purpose that they're intending. But if companies start blocking duck.com addresses, Kirky found something that was kind of clever that someone suggested, okay, well sign up for a new Gmail account, set it to auto forward to your duck.com address <laughs> And then you can have that going to any address that you want. Now, the advantage there, the advantage there is that Duck.com is deleting the trackers, so the sender of the email won't know that you've opened it, read it, won't get your IP address, etc. That's the whole point of this three-step convoluted thing. You could even have the Duck.com address forwarded to your iCloud dot com address you could set up a throwaway hide my <laughs> email iCloud address that you can delete at any time it's like email addresses all the way down isn't it it gets complicated anyway we'll link to the article in the show notes i think they're both really good services hide my email has the advantage that if you're on an apple device it's really easy to use duck service is kind of interesting because it gets rid of trackers so good to know about both of them Next week, we're going to come to you live from right after Apple's event on the 7th. We're going to record about an hour or so after, so I have time to eat dinner before. And we'll have our podcast, as usual, on Thursday morning, well, UK time, talking about Apple's new iPhone, the new Apple Watch. And oh my God, that one more thing this week is just going to be so awesome. Yep, looking forward to it. Yes, for once you want to actually buy something. <laughs> okay, until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>